This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, which will probably be the last program of, well, the format we've been doing for the past 13 years anyway, for a while. Effective next week, we will be going to a best of Radio Parallax here on KDVS and also on KZFR. Our fellow public affairs host, Graham Smith, will be sitting in for me and going to our archives to replay some of our favorite interviews. This may be a little bit outside how things are usually done here, but we have the approval of our public affairs director and our general manager, and we're looking forward to doing this. This does not mean that we will be disappearing from our website, not at all. In fact, we will also be producing some original content for the web during this same time period. So our best guess is you'll get something like 15 Radio Parallax shows in the next 10 weeks. But we do want to note that apparently the very first Best of Radio Parallax aired yesterday in lieu of Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. I gather that our good pal Dr. Andy was a bit under the weather, and so someone went ahead and did, well, I guess what will be the first Best of. We do want to note that we have a great guest for today's program, that will be investigative journalist Russ Baker. If you're not familiar with his website, whowhatwhy.org, well, you should be. Russ does a great job, and I would note that some of the people that have made some contributions to this program also have worked for whowhatwhy.com. So we have some personnel in common, and we're very much looking forward to speaking with Russ in our second segment today. And if our luck holds out, we'll be able to put a call through Down Under to Australia to bring back our Australian correspondent, Pamela Taylor. I don't know if you heard, but the Aussies apparently dumped their prime minister, or at least the ruling Liberal Party switched who their leader was. And, well, I don't understand it, but hopefully Pamela does and will inform us. But let us begin today's show as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 17th of September. It was on September 17th that the Battle of Antietam took place back in 1862. It's considered the bloodiest day in American history. And it's curious that I was mentioning this very thing on last week's program with Steve Alexander because I happened to catch a reprise of Ken Burns' excellent Civil War series. It should be noted that the battle was basically a draw between Robert E. Lee and the Union Army's incompetent nincompoop, George McClellan. Antietam, along with Gettysburg, were the only two battles actually fought on northern territory because Lee had to withdraw back across the Potomac, and by the way, was not pursued by McClellan, even though Lincoln was begging him to do so. The battle got treated as a northern success. The Union was looking very hard to have something they could point to as a success, and this immediately allowed Lincoln to go forward with the Emancipation Proclamation. He had been reluctant to do so previously because when it looked like the South was winning, such an act, he felt, would have been seen as looking desperate to the Europeans. In fact, Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, had felt that by going into the North and securing another rebel victory, they might bring recognition and aid from Great Britain and France. It was on September 17, 1884, that a judge in Oakland, California, set a new speed record for verdicts. He disposed of 13 criminal cases in just six minutes. And finally, it was on September 17th in 1978, 
in ceremonies at the U.S. White House, where Egyptian President Anwar el-Sadat and Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin signed the Camp David Accords, which laid the foundation for a peace agreement between the two nations, which still holds to this day. We mentioned a few weeks back that we need to read from Jimmy Carter's book about apartheid in Israel, and we intend to make good on that, but it won't be on today's show. We just have too much ground to cover. Our quote of the day comes from the 19th century naturalist Alexander von Humboldt, who said, There are three stages of scientific discovery. First, people deny that it is true. Then, they deny that it is important. Finally, they credit the wrong person. We're going to go with two quips for today's program, both from former Radio Parallax guest Walter Cronkite. Said Uncle Walter, Dan Rather and I just aren't especially chummy. And we look very forward to playing a clip from our interview with Mr. Cronkite where he demonstrates how true that was. But alas, that also will not be on today's program. Our second quip from the former CBS News anchor is, The perils of duck hunting are great, especially for the duck. Although what the hell, let's throw in a bonus quip from Uncle Walter, which was that America's healthcare system is neither healthy, caring, nor a system. Our joke of the day also comes from a former Radio Parallax guest. In this case, from my 101-year-old neighbor, John Lissack, who told us some years ago about participating in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Said John earlier this week when I was sitting out with him in the sun, they say you can't dump your medicines down the toilet because of fear it'll pollute the water. So you wonder how good those medicines are for you. John, for his part, apparently takes almost no medicines. And as I mentioned, he's 101. Our anecdote of the week comes from the Republican GOP presidential follies. Last week, Donald Trump attacked Jeb Bush for speaking Spanish. He called it, to use one of his favorite words, stupid. Evidently, the supposedly bilingual Bush, who is married to a Mexican immigrant, had responded in Spanish when taking questions from a Spanish-speaking Miami audience, saying of Trump, El hombre no es conservador. The man is no conservative. Anti-immigrant zealot Trump shot back that the former Florida governor should set the example by speaking English while in the United States, prompting fellow GOP hopeful Carly Fiorina to chime in, saying erroneously that English is the nation's official language. Not to be outdone by that, Sarah Palin jumped in to beg us all to speak American. Our good news item for the week is that, at least according to the U.S. News and World Report rankings, UC Davis is ranked among the nation's top public universities. Davis was one of just four universities to be listed as number one in more than one discipline. The others, if you're keeping score, are Harvard, Yale, and MIT. UCD was ranked number one in the world for agriculture, forestry, and veterinary sciences. So congratulations, UC Davis. We have two good news items for this week's show. The first is that McDonald's is planning to switch to cage-free eggs. No matter what you might think about uh, McDonald's effort to reinvent itself as a modern progressive burger company, you got to look at this as a good thing. And the curmudgeons of the world will no doubt be glad to note that Facebook has finally relented and is now working on a dislike button. Frankly, I think it's about time. Of course, the opinion that Facebook needs a dislike button does not 
necessarily represent that of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And we're pretty sure you knew that. Our stat of the day is two, as in the number of endangered species recently found in South San Francisco Bay. As you may or may not know, there's an ambitious program going on to restore some of these salt ponds in the Fremont and Newark area, I think among others, to their previous status as wetlands. In doing so, two species thought to be on the brink of extinction, uh, well, have been spotted. The clapper rail, which once thrived in San Francisco Bay's marshes, and the salt marsh harvest mouse. Evidently, land being restored was acquired through a $100 million deal brokered by Senator Dianne Feinstein and a purchasing group that included the State Department of Fish and Game, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, using funds administered by the Hewlett-Packard, Goldman, and Moore Family Foundations. This also is a good thing. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Queen Elizabeth II, who became the longest reigning monarch in British history, surpassing her great-great-grandmother Queen Victoria's record of 63 years and 216 days. The Queen, age 89, said the distinction was not one to which I have ever aspired. On the other hand, it was a bad week last week for winning the military vote after Donald Trump, who got a medical deferment from Vietnam War Service, told an interviewer that attending a high school military academy gave him, quote, more training militarily than a lot of the guys that go into the military, unquote. Yeah, if you say so, Donald. And it was an ugly week last week for ending California's longstanding drought when a record-breaking storm slammed into parts Southern California and wound up cutting off power to thousands, jamming traffic during the morning commute, and stranding some people in surging waterways. Downtown Los Angeles saw a staggering 2.38 inches in one day. This broke a record for rainfall for the date and marked the second wettest 24-hour period on record for September. Makes me kind of wish I'd kept my flood insurance. But yeah, this is a reminder that you need to be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And it was both a good week and a bad week last week for a Chinese visitor to Bangkok, with the good news that doctors had successfully removed a foreign object from her large intestine that could have damaged her digestive system. The bad news in this case was that it was a $278,000 diamond she was accused of stealing from a jewelry fair. According to the Thai police colonel Mana Thienmang Pak, the doctor using a colonoscope and medical pliers pulled the six-carat gemstone from the large intestine of the woman alleged to have filched it. That was after nature and laxative failed to get it out. I love the fact that even in Thailand, they have to use the phrase alleged to have filched it. I do have to note that when a $278,000 diamond disappears from a jewelry fair and turns up in your colon, you are entitled to use a stronger word than alleged. Although Mr. McMillan is willing to entertain the idea that someone might have snuck it into her pod thai. <coughs> Sir, I reject that premise. Aww. 
You have to digress just a moment to say I was a little bit outraged when a couple weeks back that murderous nut shot the newscaster and cameraman and then posted his video of the same events on Facebook. And we still kept referring to him in this country as the alleged perpetrator. And it was both a bad and ugly week last week for the jackass practice of big game hunting in Africa. With the news that Walter Palmer, the Minnesota dentist who shot Cecil the lion, has had no charges filed against him by Zimbabwean officials, reportedly for fear that the move could damage the country's lucrative hunting business. It really saddens me what a horrible government they have in Zimbabwe, misruled by almost four decades now by Marxist President Robert Mugabe. Because having been there, I've seen few places that seem to just have more promise than Zimbabwe, and I'm not sure I've met a nicer people anywhere on earth. The people of Zimbabwe deserve better. And you know, someone else who deserves better, if I may digress, and frankly, who's going to stop me, was the guy we used for our quote of the day, Alexander von Humboldt. Interesting book review in New Scientist magazine, I'm unable to resist quoting. There's a new book titled The Invention of Nature, The Adventures of Alexander von Humboldt, The Lost Hero of Science by Andrea Wolfe and John Murray. He starts off by noting that when Charles Darwin set off to go around the world in the HMS Beagle in 1831, he took with him only those books he felt essential. The ship was small and his cabin was cramped, and Darwin had to limit his library to what would fit on one small shelf. He chose the Bible, a few key works on botany, zoology, and geology. Then, after asking special permission from the sea captain, he added Alexander von Humboldt's personal narrative, a weighty seven-volume account of the Prussian naturalist travels in South America 30 years earlier. The reviewers note that in his time, von Humboldt's fame once rivaled that of Napoleon, and yet today he is largely forgotten. The authors of this book are hoping to rectify that, noting that von Humboldt saw nature in terms of what we now call ecosystems. Life wasn't a matter of individual plants and animals, but a web in which everything was linked. Wrote von Humboldt, In this great chain of causes and effects, no single fact can be considered in isolation. Break one link, and the whole could fall into disarray. Very modern thinking. Wherever the man went, he recognized patterns. He spotted similarities in the types of plants growing in widely separated parts of the world, thereby identifying the vegetation zones that girdled the globe. Von Humboldt also observed that land cleared to grow cash crops for Spanish landowners soon became dry and barren. He recognized the role that forests play in controlling local climate and how the loss of trees would change it, which I think puts him about two centuries ahead of today's politicians. Anyway, we might have to check this book out. They conclude by noting that the irony of the man's life is that Humboldt's views have become so self-evident that we've largely forgotten him today. But at least we haven't forgotten him here on Radio Parallax. And yes, the Humboldt Current, and as far as I know, Humboldt County, is in fact named after the man. Something else from New Scientist that whooped me upside the head was a retrospective look back at the sci-fi classic 2001 A Space Odyssey. It was tough to look forward in 1969 to the beginning of the 21st century, but man, they did an amazing job more than once, especially when um, they were casting data and communication technologies so far into the future. The magazine published a photograph of a briefcase, which was designed by the Honeywell Company, that is essentially a modern laptop, complete with camera, stylus, and modem. 
pretty cool. And it offers the added bonus of being able to use for bumper music on this segment, the wonderful Strauss waltz used to such great effect in the film, The Blue Danube. Let's take a break, then come back and speak with Russ Baker. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. ¶¶ 